This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme, uh, hoping uh, midweek that we're finding you all in good form. Normally on a Wednesday, we have Peter Dowd will join us answering all of your many, many gardening questions, particularly at this time of the year. Unfortunately, uh, Peter is busy today, so he's not available to us, but he will be back with us. I promise you that answering all of your gardening questions uh, next uh, week. John Paul is taking your calls, though, today at 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862. 103 103 already see the texts and the whatsapps coming in uh, to us looking for and Billy's already been on with his thoughts on the first of the Eurovision semi-finals if you were watching that last night live from Tel Aviv there's another semi-final on Thursday night the one that's important to us uh, because Ireland are in the Thursday night one they need to qualify in order then to get into the event proper on Saturday night if you watched it last night I found parts of it very bizarre but it is the Eurovision Song Contest at the end of the day if you have a view on the, the highs and the lows of last night, did any particular songs stand out for you? Was there a winner in the contest, the overall contest last night? Share your thoughts uh, with us. And before I go through what's coming up on the programme today, a quick thank you to a gentleman, and by God he's a gentleman, by the name of Barry from Bandon, who has sent a little handwritten note in the post today, along with a very generous donation for the young mother who I met on my recent trip to Belarus. This was the young girl who used to come to the North Cork area for about 10 years. She came from an orphanage. She came every summer and uh, she was with a local family and she blossomed year on year and then at 18 went off her merry way and we, you know, hoped as we did with all of the children that came during the summer months that they'd go on to lead, you know, good and fruitful and fulfilling lives and unfortunately she's fallen on really, really hard at times and we found her in most dire poverty along with her three children and people have been very generous in sending money in to me because we've we did what we could when we were over in Belarus with her and now we've promised her that from afar we will continue to help and support her and people have been very generous in sending money on specifically for this young mother and that's what Barry writes to me for today saying the money is for the young woman with her three children it'll help her to get a few things she might need for herself and for her little family sorry it is taken me so long uh, to get it to you but I had to get somebody to take me into town kind regards and that's Barry from Band and what a gentleman what a lovely lovely man and a kind man thank you for that Barry and coincidentally we only heard from that young mother uh, yesterday she's unwell and the problem is she hasn't been able to get the medication that she needs and she's having difficulty trying to afford the medication that she needs so as we speak we are working on contact over there getting to her getting the medication that she needs and hopefully getting her back on her feet so Barry your kind donation will go a long long way thank you for that now on the programme this morning in a couple of minutes we're going to find out about some nuns who were in court yesterday it isn't often we talk about nuns going to court but it's a Carmelite order in LEP and they were before the courts yesterday over alleged breach of planning law so it was Cork County Council had to bring the nuns into court and to see a photograph of two nuns walking into court yesterday it's just an unusual uh, photograph so we're going to find out more details about that particular case from LEP in uh, West Cork the Witness Federation of Ireland they had their annual general meeting 
yesterday actually in the Rochestown Park Hotel very critical of the government and very critical of the government for abandoning rural communities in the wake of the drink driving legislation that was introduced at the back end of last uh, year. We're also going to discuss why people who were abused at school mainly during their primary school days why they still have not received the promised compensation. After 11 today Bill Brown journalist with the Corkman newspaper will join us. He's going to be previewing North Cork electoral areas in the upcoming local elections under the spotlight today. There's been a reconfiguration of the electoral areas in North Cork as there has been in many parts of the county. Mallow now is the standalone electoral area and then we have a new electoral area of Canturk and Charleville. Charleville have been with the Formoy area. They've now moved into this new electoral area. It's going to be a little bit of confusion I think for some people when they head to the ballot boxes because names that they had traditionally seen on the ballot paper are suddenly not going to be there anymore. So we'll talk uh, about who's who are the, I was going to say the runners and riders who are the candidates uh, running and we'll get Bill to give us his uh, predictions for the local elections which are on Friday week so a little over a week uh, to go. Uh, we also will have Mab's money, uh, Mab's money Advisor talk to us on the programme today and today we are going to talk through the mortgage to rent scheme and this is part of our bi-monthly feature with Awalia offering help to people who are struggling with their mortgages but also I think hoping to offer advice and give help to people who know that it's coming down the track they know that they're heading down that slippery road of getting into mortgage arrears I think you know with many of these awful cases when they happened if you get in there in time and get the help that, that you need you may never have to put yourself under that awful awful strain and threat of losing, losing your family home we're also going to find out why the EU Commission are investigating Insurance Ireland now this is over possible breach of competition laws and of course Anything that's going on in the insurance industry, we need as much transparency as possible because we're always complaining about the high cost of premiums. We know how the high cost of premiums is affecting all aspects of our life. I mean, any of us that drive a car will know year on year. You're kind of dreading now. We're back to that stage again of dreading your car insurance premium coming in through the letterbox because you know it's going to be an increase on last year. How much of an increase is it going to be? Even though nothing has changed for you and you haven't had any kind of a claim, you're driving the very same car, but we're paying for everybody else at this stage. And then, of course, public liability insurance. Only last week we were talking about festivals and how festivals... We've already lost some festivals and there's a huge threat hanging over about 200 summer and autumn festivals this year because that's an issue to do with certification of the civil defence and it's going to affect public liability cover. It could mean that some festivals won't even be able to get a quote for their public liability cover and if a festival doesn't have insurance in place, the festival can't go ahead. So a lot to get through on the programme this morning. As always, your thoughts welcome. Now, today's Irish Examiner leads with a front page story from Skibbereen District Court, where Cork County Council have taken proceedings against a Carmelite nun over an alleged breach of planning laws. Writing about the case in today's paper is uh, Noel Baker, uh, who uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Noel. Morning to you. Uh, you're welcome. Now, it's an unusual case. Can you outline what Sister Irene Gibson has constructed on this site, which is near LEP? Yeah, most unusual, really. Um, back uh, a couple of years ago now, and, and I say this as somebody who gave Sister Irene a lift once when 
she was coming on the side of the road. <laughs> I'm like, give her in. Um, okay. <laughs> she, she, she established effectively a community of one, which was herself. And uh, she put together a kind of a porta cabin type construction. Um, the court yesterday heard that it incorporated a wooden chapel, um, a timber fence, two-story building, a four-room structure, all uh, green-coloured, uh, wooden-clad uh, stuff, effectively temporary dwellings, I suppose one could say, mm. and then an entrance onto the road as well, which more times than not was sealed off, but wasn't accessible or open to traffic at all times. Um, the issue was, is that, of course, we know that there are laws and bylaws in relation to temporary dwellings. And uh, Cork County Council had initiated proceedings, court heard back in 2016, on foot of a number of complaints from people they said were in the vicinity, imminent people, I think was the the term used by one of the people who uh, gave uh, evidence in court. And they initiated proceedings then to effectively roll back on this whole thing. Um, Now, the argument was that they had gone softly, softly, and that they didn't want to bring uh, Mr. Irene to court in relation to this particular enforcement issue. They're effectively saying that the entire structure there is unauthorised and that she failed to reverse when it was being constructed in the first place or, or to, to cut it back down to size. Um, ironically enough, just the Monday just gone, this week, the community has doubled to two because uh, a 20-year-old from New Zealand, Sister Anne-Marie, entered the Carmelite nun face of the Holy Jesus um, uh, order. So it's gone from one to two. And yet, yesterday, both uh, Sister Anne-Marie and Sister Irene, um, in the full uh, accoutrements of their of their order, were in the court um, and uh, praying silently to themselves for most of it and listening to what was going on. As the Court County Council explained that this was an entirely unauthorised uh, structure, that it had to go, and they uh, didn't want to proceed. They could avoid it, but they felt at this stage that they had no choice. And, of course, the solicitor for Sister Irene was uh, pleading her case in relation to Sister Irene that this was a place of worship, that um, it's not a particular eyesore or anything like that. That, uh, you know, but even uh, but no, even if it is a place of worship, and and I, you know, I I read in in, in the piece today that you know, the sister said, you know, all the buildings are for religious purposes. Mm-hmm. You you still need planning, wouldn't you? For well, well, this is the point. I mean, this is the fundamental point, really. And Judge James McNulty, who's the, the, the person who has been hearing the, the judge who's been hearing the case, summed it up in one line, and he basically said, "We are all subject to the law." So while you or I or anybody else might have a lot of sympathy, huge amount of sympathy, I guess, really for um, uh, this. It's not, a, it's not a temporary dwelling in relation to somebody suddenly lobbing up a holiday home, for example, you know, or, or something sticking out of the side of a mountain that, that is obviously going to blemish the landscape for people for miles around. But at the same time, I guess the law is the law. And um, this does seem to have proceeded, as per what was outlined in the court yesterday, without the relevant authorization. And now Cork County Council's opinion is that it has to go. Um, now, in, in fairness to Sister Irene, as her solicitor pointed out, there have been works to reduce its scope, and now they're going to sell the various components of it. They're endeavouring to do so online with a view to effectively moving on. You know, um, I, I think it, it, it's accepted by them that whatever plans or hopes that they had in relation to this may be flourishing in the future is now not going to happen, and that it's just a case of selling up the component bits and moving on, which is uh, 
presumably why Judge McNulty, instead of making any kind of order in the case, and yesterday was the first day that it came before the court as well, to be fair, even though Cork County Council have been in contact with Sister Irene for a number of years at this point, as just a long adjournment was facilitated so that when this case comes back before the court in December, just before Christmas, the view is that at that point, all of it will be gone. It will be sold off. And back to a greenfield site. Presumably, we'll have to go somewhere else. Do do the nuns own the land? That wasn't mentioned in court, but I can only assume that they don't. Okay. Um, Because if they did own the land, one would wonder why they just didn't apply for planning. For planning, yeah. You know? Um, And uh, I'm, I'm not privy to who does own the land, but I would have thought that anybody who owns land, if they want to put something up, the obvious thing for them to do is to apply for planning permission. And since the court heard yesterday that they intend to move on, one would assume that they also don't own the land. Whether it's commonage or whether it's owned by somebody who may, may have given them permission to do so or whatever, that wasn't heard in court yesterday. OK, but they're in enclosed order, just the two of them, and silent except for an hour a day. That's what the court heard, yes. Um, that uh, the, the, the Carmelite nuns of the Holy Face of Jesus uh, Sister Irene has been a member of that order, I believe, for about 30 years. Uh, Sister Anne-Marie effectively only graduated, for want of a better term, on Monday. Uh, but it's a vow of poverty. It's a vow of chastity. Um, there is effectively a vow of silence. Uh, they speak for one hour a day. Um, and it's a contemplative lifestyle, uh, one full of prayer. And uh, I, I, I guess kind of maybe um, it's, it's effectively the reverse maybe of some of the other orders that go into the big cities or whatever, you know, the, the idea being that you kind of take yourself away and it's hermetical, you know. Uh, so it's a fascinating uh, setup. It's a very interesting situation. Um, I can only r- r- assume that there are very few members of this particular order around the country. Um, and uh, it now looks as though LEP will go from having one to two to zero the way things are going. And they followed the Tridenta and they, it's the Latin Mass is what they prefer to attend. Absolutely, yeah. yeah that, was also, that was also referred to there's, in court. There's a great YouTube video. Did you see the YouTube video of the building, of the, I, I, the construction I, I, of the buildings? Only a few seconds. The court did hear that there's YouTube footage, all right, of yeah. the construction of certain elements of, of the settlement that's there. And I guess, um, you know, there, there was maybe a view that this is a kind of a cause for celebration, you know, that this is a kind of a, a project that might attract people. I mean, the court heard that there was 25 people there, for example, on Monday for uh, Sister... And Marie's, yeah, profession. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah into the order uh, itself. So you could see how maybe in an ideal world, um, outside of the scope of planning permission laws and all of that, this could have been a focal point maybe for uh, people you know, with that devout religious leaning who maybe wants to kind of go somewhere different or, or pray or reflect in a different way. Um, but I guess the, the cold, harsh realities of, of our laws of the land and planning permission and everything else uh, have now been brought to bear. But one wonders where they'll go. You'd like to think there's somewhere for them to go. There's no, as yeah, you say, there's that, no other yeah, order like them. That, that is very true. And what their, what their solicitor, Letty Baker, pointed out in court is they have nowhere else. So when they sell up and move on, it's not with a, a set destination in mind, certainly not at the moment. And it was very interesting, in fairness uh, to Judge McNulty, he kind of made the point at the end when he was granted the adjournment that there are a number of orders in West Cork and obviously many more around the country. And he wondered whether or not any of those orders or the diocesan authorities might provide a little bill 
building or a piece of an area of land or something like that that they are not using in a way that could facilitate the mm. nuns. Yeah, you know, so that, so that it's not entirely nomadic and that, that they would have another base that they could set up in and they wouldn't have any of these issues. Um, so, you know, that that is another point, I guess. Um, I, I'm not up to speed with the ecclesiastical laws in relation to this, but um, it would be very interesting to know where, where they're going to go. But it goes without saying that taking down what's been put up is going to take some time. Yeah, OK. And uh, I'm conscious of the time. I know you're heading into court, but before you go, tell me about picking up Sister Irene one day when she was hitchhiking. Oh, well, I was just driving down Skibbereen, probably for the court, if I remember correctly, and it was kind of a damp all day. And you don't see uh, a nun hitching a lift too often. So uh, I just pulled in. <laughs> she was in the car. And, you know, it was fascinating. And uh, she's been an extremely interesting person to talk to from what I remember and l- l- they're not looking for publicity I think I know I know and at that stage she was probably living on her own was she She was on her own, she was on her own in the at the time and, yeah. and obviously as a reporter I thought this was fascinating and you know I was trying to cajole her into doing a piece with us or something like that and, and you know you could just see that she was reticent about it that she was reluctant to do it and you know in fairness if somebody's taking a vow of silence bar one hour a day I suppose you don't really want to lean on them too much, really, in terms of giving interviews and all that kind of thing. But she, she would just she was going in for her weekly provisions, if I remember correctly, and um, uh, yeah, and and at the time it was just fascinating. The thought just struck me: isn't this remarkable in this day and age that somebody has effectively set up shop on their own, mm. you know, uh, mm. in a rural area, so far from so many things, you know, yeah. and. Uh, and and I, I suppose she never thought that it would end up in the same courthouse a couple of years later. And if you watch the YouTube video in full, you'll see what a hardworking woman she is. She was helping to do the building and everything. It's it's it's, oh, fa- it's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, OK, absolutely. so back so back in court in December when it is expected that the compound will be no more. Put it like this. It, 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 some determination will have to be arrived at on that day. And what was signalled yesterday was uh, it is the intention of Sister Irene that it would all be remedied at that point with okay. the component bits sold off. And I suppose it effectively would have to go back to something like what it was before. And let's hope they can find a home for the two nuns as well. All right, no, listen, we'll let you go. I appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank you for that. Thank and uh, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. And uh, Noel B- Baker there of the Irish Examiner writing about that uh, story of the nuns order to leave the unauthorised uh, compound. It will be no more. It is the... It's the, have I the name? It's the Hermitage. It's the Holy Family Carmelite Hermitage in uh, Lep. Okay, but when you breach the planning laws, you breach the planning laws and there has to be, you, you can't have one one rule for someone and a different rule for uh, somebody else. But I was thinking, I wonder what about the Carmelite order in Tallow? That's an enclosed order. I don't know if they have, if they're as strict with their vow of silence except for the one hour a day. But you would, you would like to think that some other Carmelite order would be able to accommodate these. There's only two nuns. I mean, I think the, the original idea f- from Sister Irene when she set up this hermitage and when she set up this plan for LEP was she thought that many others would join her. But in the years since, she's only been joined by one that coincidentally was just on Monday. Uh, this y- young young woman from New Zealand or Australia, New Zealand, who arrived over. She's yeah, a 20-year-old. She's come in as um, a novice. But uh, no more. It will be no more in uh, Lep. Your thoughts, particularly for people locally, I'm wondering how people locally uh, feel about that. Were people put out about this structure? It seems to be in a very rural 
area. All I'm looking at is an aerial photograph. So it looks like it was a very rural area. I'm wondering why local people living low, I, I assume it was neighbours, was it? Living residentially, living close by, working close by, who for some reason uh, took an objection to the building of this compound and they obviously reported it to Cork County Council who investigated and realised there was no uh, planning. So an unauthorised compound in buildings and they must now be removed. Your thoughts welcome down at 1850-333-103. A texter says, is it illegal to make an opening to a field onto a main road because a local farmer has done it twice in my location? To make an opening to a field onto a main road, I've no idea of the planning laws uh, around that. And planning laws are so strict. You'd have to get that checked with the planning department because I I really don't know. Maybe somebody else knows. Somebody making an opening to a field onto a main road, an opening that wasn't there before. Do you need planning for that? This is the Court Today replay on C103. The Vintners Federation of Ireland has strongly criticised the government for abandoning rural communities in the wake of changes to drink driving legislation introduced last year. The Vintners held their annual general meeting at the Rochestown Park Hotel yesterday and joining me from the Vintners Federation of Ireland, the Cork chairman, and that is Michael O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, uh, And you're welcome. Is, is the lack of public transport in rural areas the reason why the legislation has had a much bigger bigger impact on rural areas than the major cities or towns. I mean, is, yeah. is that the big problem here? It is. Um, like, uh, I suppose, look, our, our current cabinet, a uh, lot of them are based inside the M50. Um, life in Ireland goes on, um, believe it or not, to some of them outside the M50. And uh, lots of the legislation that they have passed, especially for the, this uh, um, act that they passed last October, um, has had a major effect on rural Ireland. Um, it's caused rural isolation. Uh, people just do not know what they can and cannot do. Um, and the government were very, very good in passing the legislation, but they have failed miserably in educating the people on the can, what they can and what they cannot do um, since they've done the, this piece of legislation. Um, they've gone very quiet, so we've called on them to um, to come and help us, really, because this the, the pub is the number one tourist reason why, why a lot of the tourists come to Ireland, according to TripAdvisor. Um, and if they uh, keep going down this line of not uh, educating, not helping the rural people, um, rural publicans and rural communities, the pub will disappear in rural Ireland and it will have a knock-on effect on jobs uh, going forward. But but nobody, including your good self and everybody else, the Vintners Federation, Michael, nobody advocates uh, drinking and driving. No, Do no. we not have safer roads because of the legislation? Well, unfortunately, the, the facts prove uh, since this was introduced, um, as I said last October, we've had a 30% increase in um, road fatalities. So the minister, as we tried to advise him beforehand in doing this, um, uh, legislation, um, he hasn't solved the problem in it. So it's uh, it's it's just making like he's taken a, a very broad view of the whole country and affected us. Um, because if you live in Dublin, and even to a lesser extent in Cork City, uh, you have taxis, you have buses, you can get around without your car. But if you live down West Cork, North Cork, East Cork, or uh, even anywhere around the country. 
there's not those facilities. Yes, I know they have tried pilots of this Rural Link uh, programme and it has worked to an extent in places, but it's, it's still not the solution. And to be fair to the government, they can't do Rural Link in every town and yeah. every village throughout the country. It just wouldn't And, be and I think that's the argument. When, you know, where it's working, it's working well, but there's, there's, there's the frequency of it and there's yeah. not enough Rural Links. We would need them everywhere. And yeah. that's, not, that's not feasible uh, either. I saw that your, your, your Chief Executive, uh, Paul, Paul Cribben, who we've often spoken with on this programme, is suggesting the introduction of limited licences. Just explain what he means by that. This is to do with people who are, who are put off the road. Yes, um, this, look, we've done... <coughs> extensive research uh, around the world on this to see if we could see or find or learn anything um, that's been done elsewhere. And what we have found to be is in New Zealand, they have what's called a limited licence. Now, it is very strict in, a, in getting it, but we have, um, we've suggested this to the minister and we're hoping that he might take it on board. And what it is, is if you are caught between the 50 and 80 milligram range um, a category that previously received three penalty points for a first conviction. Now you're off the road uh, for six months. But what uh, if you go to court and you can prove um, that there is exceptional circumstances, that your family are affected um, uh, because of your loss of income if you lose your job, uh, because many people have it in their contracts that they have to have their licence, um, you can go to court, you have to go to the court, prove it in the court, and the court can grant you a limited licence go to and from work and um, and give you those hours that you can drive in. So it's something that the Minister were asking to look at to help people because, um, look, Patricia, I'm sure most of your listeners, there's the fear factor at the moment of uh, if you go out tonight and have a few drinks, what you can do the following morning. So we're just trying to, uh, I suppose, alleviate these fears that people have because um, it's having a real knock-on effect on our trade. And when you talk about, you know, going out the night before, I think the majority of people know not to drink and drive. Yes. But you are right. It's this the fear of the morning after um, and the drink driving checkpoints in, in the morning. Yes. And, uh, you're, and you're critical of those, Michael. Well, look, I suppose we're, we're a small, like we understand the guards have a job to do and public safety is number one. We accept that. There's no, we don't have an issue with that. The law is here now and it's going to stay this way. But it's just to educate the people on how they can still go out the night before, still have their few drinks, enjoy themselves, be it a match, a wedding, um, whatever social event they have, and that know that they can go out and <coughs> excuse me and drive the following morning. Um, we recently did, released uh, an online video, and like it's been viewed, I think at almost 1.5 million times now, um, so far in, in I think uh, about two months uh, that it's been out. And we've tried to, I suppose, take a very liberal view of it and try to do demonstrations on it and what you can and can't do. And, like, people just do not know, and that's what we're calling on the minister. As I said previously, he was very good in doing the, the legislation, but hasn't been very good. We haven't heard from him, in fact, since the legislation came in. So it's, it's a, we're left in no man's land, really. Yeah, and a listener is saying we need more drink drive checkpoints, but we need them late at night. These drink drive checkpoints in the morning uh, is really crazy. We need more nighttime checkpoints. Yeah, well, uh, look, I suppose um, people, I think, I, I think the Irish person uh, is very good at going out at night and organising if they have a special event that they have their transport home. Um, I think the, the figures even show us that um, there are checkpoints at night time, uh, to be fair, but 
people are well aware of what they can, that they can't drink and drive at night. It's in the morning when they're going to work. That's where the fear factor comes into it. And that's those where they points. think they're fine, but then when they get checked, they, they're actually over. Yes, they're yes. they're over the the limit. Yes. And of course, well, over the limit, it differs for everybody. What I could drink could be completely different to what you could drink. Yes. Uh, yes. and that's where the confusion arises. And everybody's metabolism is yeah. different. It can yeah. break down alcohol different. And like while we have done the video um, online video, as I've said, um, like we've taken a pretty liberal view on it, and like most people can. Uh, adjust it accordingly because people's bodies will break down alcohol at different times. Yeah. Now we spoke with the Minister for Older People, Jim Daly, only yesterday. He's still pushing for the Uber style rural taxi service. That would help in some ways. Yes, it would. And like um, like as we have said to the Minister, he, um, to, even to Mr Daly, to Minister Daly, we've been talking, um, look, if, if there was a, uh, an Uber style, there would have to be, you know, fail safes put into it and I suppose limits and the distance that they could travel from their area. But um, everything would have to be, you know, um, uh, I suppose, checked for, for that uh, Uber-style system. Um, would, would we welcome it? Absolutely, if it, if it, uh, if it got off the ground. But um, it's, it would be great for rural areas to, to see this implemented. But uh, the government are talking about all different strategies on this, but they're not actually coming up with any or sitting down and putting any in concrete uh, in writing before us or before anybody. Okay, and you're still continuing to see the closure, are you, of rural pubs? Um, what? Well, yes. Is is look with this? Um, I suppose since this has been introduced, uh, look, we have a national sales figures uh, from a company called Nielsen, and um, it's it, it's just frightening to see the, the figures that are coming out for the last couple of months. Um, I suppose people are waiting to see the summer season to see if they can survive it and um, I, I think we might be in for a bit of a shock if uh, if things aren't um, helped I suppose for the summer season ahead uh, in September, October when we will probably see closures of pubs. Okay. Alright uh, Michael, we leave it there. Thank you for that Thank you, and uh, thanks for joining us. That is Michael O'Donovan who is the Cork Chairman of the Vintners Federation of Ireland and they held their annual general meeting in the Rochestown Park Hotel yesterday. Now Fiona Donlan our senior news reporter went along to the AGM yesterday and she spoke with Barry O'Brien. Barry is with the Irish Whip Bar in Ballydehob and obviously we're now speaking with somebody coming from a rural point of view running a rural pub and Fiona spoke with him on the effects of changes to the drink driving laws and the future of bars in uh, rural areas. Here's some of what Barry O'Brien had to say. Big, big effects of uh, the, this new drink driving laws like has really crippled small pubs. You know, fellas like at the, the evening trade now has even gone where fellas like to come in and have a couple of pints on the way home from work. That has stopped. You know, fellas are just afraid on Saturday nights, Sunday night now you could close the bars at 8 o'clock in the evening. So is it making life as a publican in rural Ireland extremely difficult? Yeah, it's very difficult because, you know, the trade is so unsure. You're there spending a long time you know, inside the bar with very no some days no one in you know more there's just a few in the evening but it really has slack enough you know luckily, luckily enough we're, we do a lot of small festivals that's just keep us alive only for that I'd say with six pubs still in the village that there could be definitely four of them closed only for the festivals yeah. Were they those six pubs would they open seven days a week? They would yeah they all open seven days a week but like ourselves no we wouldn't open till half four in the evening 
Um, there's no point, there's no one around, like the, the old the day of the farmer coming in having the drink on the way home from the creamery or the mart or whatever, that's all gone, that trade is all gone. Uh, and so what like, needs to be done? I mean, like we hear all the time about rural transport and about the drink driving laws, but, you know, like what needs to be done to, to save the pubs in rural Ireland? Um, the only thing I can say to you there, Fiona, about the rural transport, we started a, a, a transport scheme, I suppose, 15 years ago when this thing started, or maybe even 17 years ago, and we tried it out and it just didn't work because uh, one fellow wanted to come to town at 9 o'clock and the next fellow wanted to come from the next same town land, didn't want to come until 10, and the other fellow wanted to go home at 11, the other fellow wouldn't want to go home until half 11, and uh, we, we put a bus out on four routes from, from the village. And after two weeks, uh, the fellow who owns the bus, buses, bus service, Danny or something, said to me, forget about it. He said, it's not, just not going to work. So what, what can we do? Um, what do we even find ourselves now with, with, the, with the taxis? Like the busy nights, the Saturday nights, it's nearly impossible. And it's, it's, it's embarrassing then to telling people, to, especially if, if you have a bad night, to stand outside the door. Uh, to wait for the taxi, you know, which is difficult. You know, the guards might come along and say, oh, they used to have people inside. But we often had people inside, and, and, in, and in fairness, the guards did come in on a couple of occasions, and they were nice enough about it, really, because they, they understood that they were waiting for taxis, and like it was happens one in the morning, you know. So. And with the morning-after checkpoints, is that having a, a another huge. effect? On yeah, the- huge, huge effect. I think people are just completely scared of it, you know. And I think maybe over scared, really, because, you know, if I think myself, if I goes to bed at a reasonable hour, we'll say to 12 or 12 o'clock at night, and then on, on a busy night, if he's in bed at 12 o'clock, and now working late the next day, unless he has a ferocious amount of spirits or something, he should be okay, you know? I mean, the fellow who drinks four or five pints in the, in, 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 in the, on the weekend night and drives the next day after eight hours, he should be okay. I think he should be okay anyway. What do you what do you see for the future of rural pubs in Ireland? Do you think that there's going to come to a point where they're just not going to be sustainable anymore? Uh, I suppose the ones that are most sustainable really are the ones that are doing grub. But then, like every pub can do grub, you know. Like we've got we've got seven restaurants as well in our village. So I mean, the pubs really there's, there's one pub only doing 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 food. Um, I I think it's just going to be. I suppose family houses, they like to hold on to the name, like to hold on to the, their, 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 their business. They might just open maybe weekends or something like that. That's what I can see happening because young lads are not going to stand inside counters either like and, 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 and twiddling their thumbs all evening, you know. And I suppose with a village like Ballydehob, when everybody gets together for these festivals, yeah. and that's great and that boosts business, yeah. but there's an awful lot of organisation that goes on behind the scenes well, for is, one yeah. of those. So I suppose not every village is going to be in a position to do it, well, and you can't do it every weekend no, either. Possibly not. Um, as I say, you know, like, in our village, like, we have six festivals, and I'm on the committee of every one of those festivals, and I can tell you something like it, there's a lot of work. Actually, the last festival, the Jazz, I would put down 90% of the work to Joe Leary because you know, he's a lot of context, a lot of context in the music. But the other festivals we run ourselves and like there's a lot of work in them. There's a lot of work, and then again you're you're outside, you're bumming in, trying to get a few bob here, there, and everywhere, and asking everyone that you know for a few bob to try and run these festivals because, as you know, everything is the insurance and the cost of running insurances and running festivals rather is very expensive. Again, again, insurance comes up with the 
cost of running a festival but those small rural pubs depend so much on those uh, festivals what is the solution we're losing more and more of our rural pubs uh, somebody this is picking up um, what Michael O'Donovan had said about drinking and then getting bagged the next day getting stopped at a checkpoint the next day and that's putting the fear of God into a lot of people rubbish says this texture. if you have two drinks and you get a good night's sleep you'll be fine I think if you're caught over the limit you should be put off the road for five years for the first time and 10 years the second time and so on says somebody who has no sympathy at all for anybody caught over the limit even if it is the morning after and Caroline in North uh, Cork said I'm driving for over 30 years and I have never once been stopped uh, and asked to blow into a breathalyzer. Can I say neither have I, by the way, but I don't do a lot of night driving, but I, I haven't either. But anyway, uh, Karen said her son, who is 19, passed his test first time round. Well done. Well done. He's driving with end plates. Recently, he got bagged three times in a 48 hour period. They seem to be gone nuts with bagging people at the moment. 1850 What is the possible solution? Is it what we were talking with Jim Daly yesterday? Do we need this Uber style rural taxi uh, service? Could that be the key and will it help to keep some of our rural pubs alive and well and because we'll bemoan the fact if we lose them all and they are huge, particularly in places like West Cork and East Cork in Kerry and a lot of other regions, those small rural pubs are a huge attraction for tourists and tourists will come and how many tourists when they leave this country when they're asked you know what do they most enjoy what was one of the reasons they brought them they'll talk about the traditional Irish pub it'll be awful if we lose them all okay just on a different topic hi guys uh, which please put a message out on behalf of Vincent's in Bantry they're based in number five on Main Street. We're having a lovely promotion tomorrow, Thursday, the 16th of May. The promotion will run from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You buy one item and you get the other item half price. Thanks very much. Very grateful. We're big fans. Thanks for that. That's Mary, the manager of Vincent's in Bantry. You can bag your bargain there tomorrow. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend. The weekend. By turning up the feel good. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of Feel Good Greatest Hits. Join Nick Richards from 1 and Martina O'Donoghue from 4 as we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Turning up the Feel Good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel Good Friday, only on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. So I was talking about the Eurovision uh, song contest earlier and the fact that last night it was the first of the semi-finals and it just seemed to be so bizarre and in many ways I suppose so Eurovision. Somebody has pointed out to me uh, and, and I, I know this only too well that today, the 15th of May 1993, It's 26 years to the day since the Eurovision Song Contest was staged in Mill Street. And remember what a fantastic contest that was. And also we reflect on how the Eurovision has changed since the day that it was hosted this day, 26 years ago, when it was hosted in uh, Mill Street. There was parts of it last night. Honest to God, it was bizarre. If you are waiting to watch it on just the Saturday Night Show, you're in for a real treat. You're in for a real treat. Billy says the best song last night was Estonia. What was Estonia? Estonia was where the young man was on his own wearing a leather jacket. Nice song. 
Festival Ballad last year and he, he actually stood out because he came out on his own singing a song and there was no uh, flashing lights no strobe lighting there wasn't girls or poles hanging in zero gravity like the Australian three were, were doing and he literally just came out and sang a song and you're right it wasn't a bad song either is it going to do any good I don't know amid all the, the noise and the bells and whistles of the other performances because it is all about performances we'll preview tomorrow the second semi-final which is the one that young Sarah for Ireland is competing in tomorrow night. Okay, but thank you for for whoever it was contacted us just to remind us that this today is the anniversary of the Eurovision in Mill Street and many, many people in Mill Street and surrounding areas still have a warm, fuzzy feeling about Eurovision 1993 and what a huge success it was and it was all thanks to the foresight of Noel C. Duggan and who could ever have believed that he would bring Eurovision to Mill Street to the heart of a rural community and he did and it was hugely, hugely uh, successful. Even if one BBC commentator described it as and it wasn't Terry Wogan uh, described us as only the Irish would have it in a cow shed Do you remember that there was war at the time uh, over that particular comment now on drink driving and our piece in the last star with the Vintners Federation of Ireland and the Vintners Federa- Federation of Ireland accusing the government of abandoning uh, rural areas Mary says Patricia what with drink stricter drink driving laws and the smoking ban rural pubs are slowly fading away the town I live in has only six pubs left that was out of 20 that was there 40 years ago how sad is that says Mary and that's reflected all across the county and all across the country and I suppose people would say we probably had too many pubs but they all managed to stay open they all managed to do a business but we certainly had too many pubs, but, but but we're losing too many of them, is Mary's point. Mary and Yaw says, if you look at the towns in rural Ireland, those that are, especially those which are not located near cities, you have long established businesses that have simply closed. You have bars and once the owner retires, the business goes. There's nobody in the family wants to run a bar because a lot of these bars, the ones that are open many, many years, are running at a loss. And that's down to lack of, not just lack of customers, but also changes in the law. If you have a long established business closing plus bars, then how can a town prosper and stay alive? We will have towns becoming villages and then slowly closing. It's very sad to see. I do not agree with drinking and driving, but I feel that we had towns thriving in the 60s and the 70s when Ireland was a poorer nation. Now we seem to have nothing. Melissa in Grenat says new laws and bars closing along with post offices are partially to blame for the demise of rural Ireland. But it's also greed. Before people used to shop locally, for example, if you needed to buy an electrical good, goods, you went to the local electric store in your town or village. But with the introduction of the big retail chains, particularly coming in from the United Kingdom, um, People now drive to the nearest city and they purchase the items there because there's the perception that they're going to get the item cheaper. And yes, they may be good on price and good for competition. But at the end of the day, if everyone starts to do that, and that's what a lot of people have been doing, the knock on effect is small shops in rural areas are uh, closing and also building big out of town shopping centres 
has affected rural life as well, according to Melissa in Grenna. Billy in Clonakilty says, what annoys me is people who work in the cities or big towns, but then buy a house in a smaller rural area. They do it because it's cheaper and then they commute to work. These people, well, not all of them, some of them, a proportion of them, shall we say, never get involved in the local community. They end up working in the city. They'll do their shopping in the city. They'll get involved in other aspects of their life, but it's done in the city, not in the local community where they bought their house. It frustrates me. And that's why so many towns are flourishing. The talent and the creativity is in the town, but they're not contributing. I think that's probably the case, uh, Billy, initially when somebody buys a property. I'm thinking, for example, of, say, somebody single or maybe a young married couple or a young couple who are setting up home together and they buy a house and if they are commuting in and out to the city and they might have you know very busy lives and the easiest thing is to shop on the way home shop you know in somewhere that they know in the city take for example if they're from the city and then they head home and yes I, I agree they mightn't be contributing uh, financially or socially to the town where they're living but I guarantee you when they start to have a family that's when a lot of people will say to you it was only when the kids came along that I really set down roots in a community those children start going to the local school they'll be joining the local GAA or the soccer or the basketball or the swimming and they get involved and the parents get involved so so I think maybe initially when somebody buys if they don't have children I think once the family starts to arrive uh, things are very very different uh, indeed thank you for your text to 1853 uh, uh, or thanks for your call to 1853 you can text our whatsapp 0862103103 Azerbaijan for the win Patricia says a texture they, were they on stage last night I don't know if I saw Azerbaijan a lot of people are really into the Eurovision whereby you can you can go online and actually see all the songs in advance if that's what you want to do, but um, I haven't. I haven't. I, there was a time when I was a bigger Eurovision fan and I had more high too much time on my hands when I was able to do that, but no longer, uh, unfortunately. Okay, you can give John Paul a call. You can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. The latest jobs on C one zero three. Official media partner of the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday June second. Get working now to run the full half or relay. More details at c one zero three ie. A tyre fitter is wanted. That's for work in Mallowtown. You need to have a clean driving licence. The Haystack Restaurant, that's based at the farm in Grenada. They're looking for a chef and a cook for daytime hours. While the Keys Bar, that's based in Bantry, they have a vacancy for a full-time or part-time chef. Job does come with an immediate start and it's for the summer season. And a part-time experienced bar person is required for a North Cork pub. Must have lock-up experience and be able to drive. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Now we continue with our preview of candidates running in the upcoming local elections with the spotlight today on two of the North Cork electoral areas. Bill Brown, journalist with the Corkman newspaper, joins me to cast his eye over the Mallow area and the Canturk Charleville local electoral areas. And Bill joins me. Good morning to you, Bill. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, now, Bill, firstly, just explain the changes here to the electoral areas. Um, Charleville has moved from Formoy to Canturk, and Canturk has moved away from Mallow kind that, of thing. That's right, yeah, that's right. I think first of all, probably best to go back to a bit of history of the, the whole area. Okay. Um, prior to 2014, to, uh, I'd say 2009 elections, there was two constituencies. 
with nine seats was four in Cantuck and uh, five in Mallow. Uh, that changed with the boundary changes in 2014, so it became a six-seater combined Cantuck Mallow uh, municipal district. Um, so at that election, then uh, yeah, so, so that was, and then uh, there was, I say, six seats. Uh, John Paul O'Shea came in first. Uh, followed by Bernard Moynihan, the late Dan Joe Fitzgerald, Melissa Milan, Jared Murphy, and Timmy Collins. So um, there was a couple of surprises there, of course. A few sitting councils lost their seat. Uh, Noel Buckley, Ronan Sheehan, Noel O'Connor, and Bart Donegan. So now the changes we have back again, um, we have the back to the two constituencies with nine seats combined. Again, it's Canturk, four seats, and Mallow, five seats. And it's to do with the population, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it shifted around in that way. Um, so exactly. So uh, it's it's just it wasn't that. So you know. the Canturk side, which is now Canturk Charleville, because Charleville was under Formoy, but that's well, now coming under Canturk. That's right. Charleville was. It was. It's a bit of a discrepancy, a bit of an odd one, really, uh, that uh, Charleville came under the Formoy constituency, but that's moved back mm. under the boundary changes back into Canturk. So in Canturk, we have sort of eight candidates for four seats. Um, I can run through the candidates if you'd like. Yeah, we will. Uh, we, we, we will do. We'll do exactly that. Okay, let's start yeah. with with that Cantorque, um, uh, Charleville. Um, we've got, as you say, eight candidates running for four seats. Four seats. Yeah. And how many sitting councillors? Um, well, we have Ian Doyle, um, who is from Charleville. Uh, we have uh, Bernard Moynihan, uh, Jared Murphy, and John Paul O'Shea. Um, so, so we, we have, have four sitting going we have for four. four sitting mm. going for four, really, and it's it's kind of difficult to look beyond those, if I'm honest. Um, the other candidates we have are uh, Ted Bradley, who's the Green Party. Uh, he's from Ballyhay, uh, his CE supervisor. There's uh, Ado Mazombe, he's independent. He's from Mallow, the co-founder of the Mallow-based Love and Care for People. Um, there's Sinn Féin, uh, Lillian Mead, uh, she's a payroll specialist from Drummahan. And uh, Paddy Scully on to, um, he's uh, an engineer from Newmarket and he's a lecturer at uh, LIT. So really, it's it's quite difficult to look beyond the four of those without having too much predictions, but it's quite difficult to look beyond the four sitting councils. OK, John, John Paul O'Shea topped the poll last yes, time, indeed. last yeah. time round, but he would have topped the poll as an independent He's now, of course, running as a Fine Gael candidate. Fine Gael, that's right, yeah. So it's an interesting one. I think he's still quite a popular person. It's, 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 I think he'll do quite well, you know. Um, as you say, he was independent, elected independent in 2009, re-elected in 2014 and joined Fine Gael in 2018. Um, but I do believe he's quite popular. He's, he's done a lot of work on the ground, so you, we would, you would... Fancy him to, to, to certainly retain his seat. Um, there, yeah. And we also know he has ambitions for the next general, whenever the next general election well, is. There is that as well, of course, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. He's, made, he's made no secret of that, Patricia, so um, I think, you know, he, he'll certainly be there or thereabouts, definitely. OK, so if, um, you, if you were a gambling man, you would be, would you be, would you put him to top the poll again? Oh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I mean, as I say, that you know, elections can throw up surprises, as I said before. Um it would be a brave man who'd say who'd top the poll, but certainly he'd, I would imagine he'd be he'd certainly be very popular there, you know. But of course, I mean, Ian Doyle again, you know, very popular down in the Charleville area. Mm. Um, coming back from Fomoy, he would have a lot of votes down there. Uh, Gerard Murphy, of course, has been there for, for a long time. I mean, he was first elected in 91, uh, sat in the door, and then re-elected in 2009, returned in 2014. And, of course, Bernard Moynihan as well, um, first elected in 2014. And... You know, it, it, it is difficult to see beyond those four, really, to be honest with you. And th- so that would mean they would be returning to Fine Gael to Fianna Fáil? 
That's right. Yeah. Uh, as as is almost. Okay, yes, and yes. then moved to Mallow. Now Mallow, seven oh. candidates for five seats. For we five will seats. we will have new councillors here because only two are outgoing. We will indeed. Yeah, we have only two uh, outgoing. That's Melissa Milan, Sinn Fein. Um, she was elected in two thousand fourteen. Uh, and Gerald Murphy, who was co-opted uh, after the, the late Daniel, I'll uh, just go back a little bit, the late Dan Joe Fitzgerald, after he passed away, his son Daniel was co-opted, and then Gerald was subsequently co-opted um, onto the council in 2017. So this is his first election? It is really, yes, indeed. And, and, and the same the same applies for the others as well. Um, we have Pat Hayes, uh, Fianna Fáil, uh, who'd be a well-known businessman locally, um, and he's a Mallow Chamber president and his first time seeking office. Uh, was James Kennedy for Labour Party. He, and uh, people would know James. He's a former town councillor and uh, former mayor. And, his uh, and always was, polled well in the all, town councils. Very popular in the town councils. Always a very popular person around. Um, so, yeah, so James would be, you would have to think James would be quite a strong runner. I uh, say director of the Mallow Partnership as well. Um, then we have, we have three Fina Gales. We have Liam Madden, um, his first time at Kian Moriarty, both of whom were selected at convention in February. And then we have Tony O'Shea, who's the brother of John Paul O'Shea, who was added to the tickets in March. Um, as I say, and then, then there's Melissa Milan from Sinn Féin. So, you know, it's, as I say, seven for five. Um, again, Are Fine Gael being very optimistic in running three? The, the... I, would, I, I would say they are, to be perfectly honest with you. I would say they are. I mean, if you look... At there, I mean, you would have to think uh, Melissa and Garrod would stand a very good chance of getting back in. Um, Pat Hayes, very popular local business, very well known. James Kennedy, as you pointed out, would have been very popular at his time as the uh, uh, Town Council. Oh, sorry, Mallow Town Council. Mallow Town Council, so, yeah. Sorry, forgive me. And then, of course, you have Liam, Kean, and Tony. So you would might suggest it might be, there might be certainly a chance of one being a Gale, who that might be, you know, uh, Tony O'Shea. You know, it would be, it would be known through his brother John Paul, so he might be, you know, considered maybe one of the the running the the have a good chance, you know. So. Yeah, it'll it'll just it'll depend on what way the vote goes on the day, and transfers well, it, are yeah. going to be transfers well, trans- are going to be the big one tran- here. Transfers would be key there, absolutely, absolutely. They they'll be see, see who goes there, who picks up the most there, and, and I think that will that will take up the last seat then, you know. And I know um, we were discussing this yesterday when we were talking about the the Cove electoral area, Cove, and, and and I think this is reflected in a lot of areas, especially at local elections. People have a tendency to vote for people from their area rather than parties, particularly when it comes to the twos, threes, fours and fives. Well, so it could be possible that the Mallow votes will stay in the Mallow area. It's it's highly likely. It's, it's highly likely the Mallow uh, will stay there and which will, you know, serve to, for, you know, the potatoes and the people who, who come from Mallow, who hail from Mallow and who would be well known there locally as well. So you would think that the transfers could play a key part as well there. Um, well, people will go in and will see a ballot paper and will be looking for names that are not on the names, that are not yeah. on the sheet. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. There is there so, is going to be a level of confusion, I think, on the day. I think there probably is, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, there is. I mean, you know, you have a... The, yes, I think there will be, of course, and the, the confusion with the, the Europeans as well. There's going to be a lot of people, a lot of ballot papers out there, you know. OK, who is the likely poll topper for Mallow? If you were a gambling man, oh, if I was a gambling man again, this is again you're asking me. Um, Pat Hayes and James Kennedy would be very, very popular indeed. I think um, it, it, it really is a tough one to call, you know, because as I said before, these things can throw up surprises where you least expect them to. Mm. 
Um, and it would be a brave man, really, to, to suggest who might be the pole topper. But, you know, I suppose Melissa and Garod would be well known from their, their work already. And they've done, done a lot of work on the ground. A hell of a lot of work on the ground. Yeah. Very busy on the ground, very, very busy in the council meetings. Very, you know, they, they're certainly not shy in, in coming forward talking about issues as well. Um, and Pat Hayes, of course, would be very well known. And James would be very well known from, from his days in the Mallow Council, as I said already. So it's, it's a tough one to call for pole topper. Yeah, yeah it's, going, it's going to be an interesting count. Well, it will be a very interesting count, yeah. I mean, you know, seven candidates for five seats. Uh, you know, I mean, the number of uh, candidates is quite low as well, I would, I would suggest, for, for that as well, which, mm. which was interesting. So it, it certainly it will make for interesting uh, watching on yeah, the day. Yeah, it's you know? probably the only electoral area where there will only be two losers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it I haven't is. thought about that before. Yeah. Now, um, the only retiring councillor from this area is independent councillor Timmy Collins. He Timmy started Collins. out as a Fine Gael member, but was That's very right. successful as an independent candidate. Very successful, yeah. Timmy would be a very, very popular person. Um, he polled uh, 1,779 first preference votes the last time. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see where those go as well. Uh, the Cantor area, you know. Um, but so Timmy was very popular, uh, very nice, very nice guy. I worked with him at council meetings and, you know, very, very forthright in his views as well. Not, not afraid, not backward in coming forward. Let's mm, mm. Um, retiring, but really shy, I would say. You know? And they had a nice kind of a send off for him lately at his last meeting. Lovely send off, yeah. Both meetings actually in the, in the northern area and the Mallow, uh, Cantor, the Cantor Mallow uh, local electoral area. Yeah, he, he, again, he was a very popular person, um, and he will be he will be sorely missed on the council. There's no no question about that. Uh, okay, yeah, and that kind of experience that that he, well, he takes away with him, he does. Yeah, as as anyone who's been experienced like that, it's always it will always be lost to the council. You know, um, I mean, he served as, as as the chair of the northern area as well, so you know, he he, he knows his stuff certainly. And I know I was reading, I think it was your piece in, in the Corkman I was reading, uh, you know, where some of the councillors were saying that when they were the new fresh faced councillors going in and a bit unsure about everything, it was Absolutely. Timmy was the man to say, oh, point Timmy him in the was, right direction. Oh, Timmy was the guy to go to. And, and the thing about Timmy, it didn't really matter what party you were from. He was just interested in the area and interested in his constituencies and he'd help whoever he could if, if, if it great. helped the constituents, you know. Okay, issues bills that are yeah. coming up locally. What are what are the main issues for, well, for right across both of these um, electoral areas? In, certainly in the Mallow, you would have to think that the Mallow Relief Road would be one um, that that is really uh, high on the agenda for everybody. You know that, that that's we're talking about traffic impacting business on the town. The Mallow is, as, as most people would tell you, is going to be quite choked up with traffic and. It's very keen. I think very, very important that it gets the bypass. Now there was talk that that might happen for ten years yet uh, on the M20. So there would be a lot of people pushing for that, as there have been in the last council as well, pushing for that to, to be brought forward. It's vitally important, I think, for the town. Um, and so many broken promises on that really floated. Huge I mean. amounts of broken promises on that. It's been something that's been different reports that have come over the last last few years, the Intercom report uh, just suggested how it was vital and how much it would generate for the for the town, indeed, and just, you know, just for, for, just to keep the traffic out as well. You know, I mean, there are other issues as well. The town plaza, as I'm sure you, you, you're aware. I, do you know something? It's, it, it, it struck me when I was doing a bit of research last night in, in advance of this piece when, you know, James Kennedy's name on, on the ballot paper. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, James was with the last council last yeah. town council and last everybody accepts council. that the plaza was almost the gift from the last town council to the people of Mallow and I'm wondering 
is, yeah. is, has anybody mentioned it to him on the doorstep? That's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to use the word gift because that may appear that was so at the time, but I don't think, <laughs> certainly opinions divided about it now anyway. Um, it's, you know, if, if you say a busy time, the traffic can be horrendous as well. Um, and another issue like in Mallow, particularly would be traffic wardens. Uh, you know, there's talk that people want them to go back under uh, court county council control, perhaps be a little less strict regime. Are they still strict? Uh, they're quite strict, yeah, yeah, they are quite strict. So, you know, it is, uh, you know, I think people people are looking at that. I mean, there's some derelict buildings in the town, which I know has been mentioned, gives us a poor image and impact, impacts on business as well. Yeah. Uh, the other issue, of course, that they'll be pushing through as well is the rejuvenation of Mallow Castle, the Spa House and Town Park. I believe there's, there's a plan due to come before the first meeting of uh, the Mallow uh, electoral area uh, discussing that. So that, that should be interesting as well. So, okay. uh, you know... Uh, and then obviously the general top, the general issues that are coming up everywhere, things like housing. That's oh, th- th- there isn't a local uh, authority that are not faced with problems with housing. Well, exactly, and, and that, that that comes up across both Cantor and the Mallow areas. Housing, you know, uh, and in more rural areas, planning decisions for one-off housing, things like that. You know, um, uh, so yeah, housing, but housing, as I'm sure you've spoken to other people, and, and they'll tell you all across the board that that's a major problem. You know, okay. Like, and uh, and very finally, Bill, the count. Where where? What's the details for the count for uh, for both of these areas? Well, the, the boxes have actually been opened. Uh, my understanding is they're opened in County Hall um, uh, because all of the ballot papers for the referendum, the uh, local elections, and the European elections are going into the same box. They're taken all being taken up to County Hall. They'll be separated and brought back down to the count centre in uh, Mallow. Uh, and the countess is scheduled to start. Uh, well, certainly not. Won't start before three o'clock. Um, and then it's going to. If there's no uh, result by then, it's going to actually stop at one o'clock and continue on the following morning. Then, so um, it, you know, it, it's it depending on how quickly it takes them to separate the papers. There may not be even sort of an initial result. Can, on can, Saturday. can you do me a favour and will you double check on that? Because I mm. heard that the Mallow and the Canturk Charleville papers mm-hmm. um, and some other areas, I'm just not sure what the other areas, we're going to go to the GAA centre in Mallow for that's original what, separation. That's what I initially heard, but that, my understanding... Has that been changed? That, that's my understanding. Now, I would, you're quite right, I would have to check up on that, but yeah. certainly that's my understanding. Um so it'll be an interesting day ahead of council council. Yeah, as, as, it is. As it's a, going. To, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And then my other suggestion that nobody seems to ever pick up on when we have a local election, a European election, and of course a referendum. Why don't they have different boxes? Seriously, that like. baffles me. It really does baffle me. You know, I, I, I it, 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 it just makes more sense. It really does make more sense. Like you and I have been at council before. It's painstaking watching them. Divide everything out it, of the boxes. It, it is, uh, yeah, for us to watch, for people to do it, I'd imagine. And you, you would imagine it was easily avoidable situation. Yeah. Just a couple of extra boxes, I don't think it's rocket science. but Yeah, and, and, and you and, just, you, you colour code them. So if your referendum is in, in green, you put that into the green box. Well, exactly, you know, yeah. I mean... <laughs> It, it saves it saves confusion. Yeah. Time. I mean, you know, and there's a lot of people up in the count centres waiting for things to happen. And as you know yourself, there's a lot of dead time up in the count centres because of that. So 
you know, perhaps they'd be sorted out a lot quicker otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, listen, thanks a million for that. Right. And uh, thanks for joining us. Right. Bye-bye, thanks bye-bye. Bye. That Take is uh, Bill Brown, uh, who joins us from the Cork Man, looking at uh, Cantark and uh, Mallow. And I forgot to double-check with John Paul as to where we're going to tomorrow, but we'll I'll, I'll get back to you on that as to uh, our preview of the candidates running in the various local elections as the countdown uh, continues. Uh, election, of course, uh, happening on Friday week for both the locals, the Europeans and the referendum. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 is online everywhere Connect with us across our social media and have your say Find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter by searching C103 Cork Visit our website c103.ie for the latest show info podcasts and all the news from across Cork and you can listen live Or take us with you everywhere on your phone Download the app from the Google Play Store iTunes or c103.ie Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And our preview of the local electoral areas will continue tomorrow. And it's banding Kinsale. I just couldn't remember where we were going to yesterday. I'm getting so confused with all the different electoral areas. So we'll preview banding Kinsale uh, tomorrow on the programme. Now, we continue today with our bi monthly feature with Awalia, the free mortgage arrear support service operated by MABS. Today, we focus on the Mortgage to Rent Scheme and joining me Rosaline Ward who is a money advisor with the South Munster Mabs. Uh, Good morning to you Rosaline. Good morning Patricia. Uh, And and you are welcome. Okay, let's start at the beginning. What is the Mortgage to Rent Scheme? Mortgage to Rent is essentially is for someone who has completed the mortgage arrears resolution process with their lender and their mortgage has been deemed unsustainable. What the actual scheme means is that the mortgage holder would voluntarily surrender their property back to the lender and then they would rent back the property from, uh, from a third party. The beauty of this scheme is that it, it all happens behind closed doors. So anyone listening who maybe thinks that the scheme by the end of uh, the segment is for them. Nobody actually knows it takes place. It takes place between the mortgage holder, the lender and then the um, the approved housing body who may take over the property to rent back. The key piece to this is to actually engage with the lender to complete the standard financial um, standard process, the statement with the lender. If anyone would have difficulty in doing that, the MAB service then will be best placed with them to complete, to gather the paperwork, do the submission for them. The service itself that we offer um, in line with that would be it's absolutely 100% free and it's one-to-one which you know often is lost uh, for people and if anyone's in a vulnerable place particularly with mortgage arrears being so emotive um, the MAB service uh, can help with the getting to the stage of being mortgage to rent being offered. Lenders um, if the client is eligible for the scheme, the lender then will, you know, highlight that to them. And at that point, the person needs to then be applied for social housing support with the local authority. To to do that, another form would need to be completed. So that would be the social housing support form that would be standard across uh, local authorities. You mentioned the bit about behind closed doors. Is that privacy aspect very important to people who come forward for this scheme? 
Yes, it would be. Um, mortgage arrears is very emotive. Any saying of losing the family home, you know, it's a very, it's a very stressful time. Family, anyone's listening, they have small children who are struggling maybe to with mortgage arrears. Yes, yes, it is. There's no, there's no, um, you know, if a house was to be repossessed and sold on, you know, that would be very obvious maybe to, you know, an outside party. With mortgage to rent, it happens between, as I said, the client, the uh, mortgage lender, and then the approved housing body. Nobody need know unless uh, they, you decide to tell them yeah, yeah that is terrific that is okay who who can qualify for the scheme to qualify for the scheme, anyone, um, you need to be, first of all, deemed your mortgage needs to be deemed unsustainable. So you need to have completed the mortgage arrears resolution process with your lender. There is um, some income. So that means, so sorry, so that means engaging with your lender because we Absolutely. often hear from people who just get so afraid and so bogged down with the whole process. You know, I've counted, I don't know how many times I've interviewed people who say when the letters came in the letterbox, I just ignored them. I didn't answer the phone. I, it, you need to engage with the lender. Absolutely, and if someone listening this morning or they have a family member or a friend who is unable to do the engagement, then your MAB service would be best place to do that for okay. you. Engage with us. You know, there is, as you highlighted, the Awalia panel where you have access then to a person, Zomsey practitioner, a solicitor or even an accountant. You know, with mortgage to rent as well, we would have had cases come into the office here different and, and different um, from different backgrounds where we would have won case where the house, the order was actually granted for repossession in 2017. The stay on the uh, repossession had in fact uh, expired. The mortgage was later sold on to a fund. Um, in turn the client came to MABS um, on as a result of engaging with this fund. Mortgage to rent is now being explored and any further legal action has been has been delayed. So that family will be able to once the process is completed. What I would say is a very long process. It's not something that okay. happens short term. So there's a lot of different players in it. Once the house once the mortgage to rent has been offered, the client applies for social housing support. That would then need to be submitted back to the lender to show that they are eligible in fact for the scheme. And then at that point the lender will be looking, the consents will have to be signed by the mortgage holders to allow the house basically be put out to the uh, housing association to see if any, if there's anyone interested in buying that property. And, and the real benefit of the scheme is that the person and the family end up staying, or, or, okay they may not own, they may not own the house but they end up living in the house that they had initially set out to buy for themselves. Absolutely. So what happens there is they stay, they become tenants in their what was originally their own home. They can no they no longer own the home, so the asset is no longer theirs. And the rent that will be paid that will be paid will be in line with their income. So if the income decreases, the rent will decrease and likewise if income wants to increase over a period of time, then the uh, the rent could increase. But it is done under the differential rent scheme, which is what is used by local authorities around the country. Okay, and as you say, the rent, um, the 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 rent d- will depend on how much income is coming into the house. That's Absolutely. that's the important. Okay, if somebody listening to this, Rosalind thinks, you know, this can help me. This is just for me. How do they apply? How do you start that whole process? First of all, they need to engage with the lender. That's the first and foremost thing. If they feel that they are not able to do that or, you know, they're just going through um, some time in their life that they're unable to, contact the MAB service. We have the best way to get in contact with we've MAB services all over the country would be, in fact, to use our national helpline. It's an easy number to remember and then they'll direct you to your local service. The number is 076 
1072000. Then what happens is, once the standard financial statement has been completed, the mortgage has been deemed unsustainable, social housing support has been deemed eligible for that, and the lender has uh, indicated to, to the uh, client that mortgage to rent is an option, it, that's how it takes place. There's another key piece to it um, with mortgage to rent. So essentially, once the house is voluntarily surrendered back, the price is agreed between the approved housing body and the lender. If okay. there's a shortfall between the sale price and the mortgage outstanding, there is a possibility of a debt there being outstanding, which becomes a secondary unsecured debt that the client themselves will become liable for. But what would happen there is the MAD service then can look at options for clients in-house to deal with that, whether it be a voluntary arrangement or another option that's um, offered to the MAD service is what we call a debt relief notice, which is a write-off uh, for unsecured debts up to the value of 35000 This is illegal once-in-a-lifetime once write-off, which can only be accessed through the MAD service. Okay, and that would be somebody's in a house with nev- negative equity, wouldn't it? That's, Very possible, yes. Yeah, yeah. And how many people, uh, Rosie, do you have figures on the number of uh, families that you have helped with a scheme I like this? I don't have you don't figures. Okay. Hand, but we would have a number of ongoing claims at the moment. We, at the moment, there's a couple of mortgage rents here that will be going through the service. We have a couple who are later on in life who are in the process of putting the final stages of their mortgage rent and they're also using the service here to deal with the shortfall of the mortgage rent. So the money advisor here is going through their options, debt relief notice, which is also offered in-house. So while the mortgage rent, like we said at the start of the segment, happens literally between three parties, the client, the lender and the approved housing body. The money advisor then here in the office will help deal with the with the shortfall or any other secondary debts that um, might need to be dealt with at that point. And the approved housing body, can that be the local authority in many cases? Some, not Some. sometimes, but not always. There's other housing bodies around the country. That, so they're not-for-profit um, organisations who, who, who sold properties. Like the lights housing. of Cluers and those. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and uh, they're they're working very, very successfully. Um, okay, so once again, remind us of the phone number if um, people think that this is that they want to find out more about it, or they think that the mortgage to rent scheme is just for them. So the, this is our MADS helpline. So it's zero seven six one zero seven two zero zero zero. That's based in Dublin. It's manned by trained advisors like myself, Monday to Friday, nine a.m. to eight p.m. There is other uh, information available on our MADS website. So that's www.mads.ie. There's also a mortgage to rent uh, website there as well, which someone can log on to, and it's uh, mortgage to rent.ie. If someone would prefer, you know, not to use the helpline, they can call into any other MADS service ourselves here in the city we have uh, Mallow offices Mallow Charleville West Cork call in speak to an advisor check what your possible options are if mortgage to rent isn't an option for you then your money advisor and your dedicated mortgage to advisor will go through the next options or your next possible steps the key to all this would be to engage with your lender yeah. non-engagement really isn't an option if arrears are on the if arrears are on the mortgage you know repossession is very possible it's also important to remember that if somebody is in the legal process you know the civil bills have been issued um, or if they you know they've had a number of court hearings if mortgage to rent is an option it can still be explored at that stage. Oh, can it? Okay, all right. But it's it's a scary place to be, isn't it? Isn't it for people? And I mean, the main message we're trying to get across from this feature is, you know, help is available. 
Absolutely, and it's local and it's face-to-face, which I think sometimes gets lost in modern-day society. You can sit across the desk from myself, one of my colleagues, and we'll go through it at your pace. We'll give you through your options. You know, you'll have time to think. It's, your MAPS office is a safe space to go through your options. Likewise, with the add-on of the Awalia scheme, you know, we have panels there for personal solvency practitioners, solicitors. The, on the day in court, we have a court mentor service. Two of, our, um, two of my colleagues here in the office are there every Wednesday in Washington Street, in the courthouse, you know, and then can put you in touch with a duty solicitor who's there on the day. Who was, yeah, who was and these, these are for people, Rosalind, who've probably never been inside a courthouse in their life. Absolutely, and court is a scary yeah, place. It is. Um, and it's often very hard to hear numbers being called, what has been said. Where if you can, if you, the most important thing to say is if, if you have a court date, torn up. You know, while it might be very scary, and by all means it is, please attend your court hearing. Uh, make yourself known. If you make yourself known to the MAPS advisor, they can speak to you, they can put you in touch with the duty solicitor, they can tell you what number you are on the list. It's it's very important to turn up and to engage. Non-engagement yeah. is most likely going to result in repossession. If they're only, if there's the party isn't putting their own, for, their own story forward, life happens illness happens, loss of job can happen, you know, a death in the family can cause for mortgage arrears to happen. What we're trying to say is if, if that is happening to you or a family member that might be listening this morning, it's important to pick up the phone, contact your lender, contact your MAPS office, get in touch with ourselves. We'll give you the add-on supports onto the Awalia scheme. Um, but it's important that there is people in a safe place yeah. uh, discuss that. And, it's, and, and nothing to be ashamed of. It's happened to so many in the past and God knows it'll happen to more in the future. And knowledge is power. Get the knowledge that you need and that's exactly what you can get from uh, MABS. Listen, uh, Rosalind, thank you for that. Really enjoyed our, our chat and uh, continue with the great work that you're doing with MABS and thanks for joining us. Thanks, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Rosaline Ward, who's a money advisor with the South Munster Mabs. 1850 333 Our lines are open. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, we have sent an email on to Cork County Council. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just to get the actual clarification of where the count is going to begin for the North Cork area. A number of people are saying all the boxes are going to the GAA complex in Mallow. My confusion there is with the word all. Um, obviously the Mallow Canturk ones, are there for Moy ones going there? What about the East Cork ones, the ones from Middleton and Cove etc. So anyway, we're going to get clarification from the council because the idea is that they'll all go to one, one they'll start in one location, they'll all get divided up in that the, the 
the local elections will be put into bundles and then you'll have the referendum being put into bundles and then you'll have the European elections being put into bundles and I know, as far as I know, the tallies are going to start the GAA complex in Mallow. But it will. I just don't know how many boxes are going to go up there. It's going to be a very, very busy spot. And then they'll get sent off to all the various count centres. And as Bill says, certainly counting in the Mallow Youth Centre, which will be for Canturk and Mallow Childville, won't begin before at three o'clock because it's all the sorting of the boxes first. Somebody else says, how do I get a job for a polling station to work in the hall or in the school to sign people in and stamp their sheets, etc.? Uh, Taking you says, and those jobs were advertised as Certainly I was on, when I was online last week when I was doing some research I was trying to find out where the various count centres were going to be and the timings around it and all of that. I noticed that they had have the, if you were on the Cork County Council website you would see they were looking for people to work in all of the various the polling centres and then obviously for the count centres the following day. And I know, I know, inevitably next Friday week we will get complaints in from people saying I went to my polling station to vote and the same people are there. But as I always say, those people applied or they either applied themselves or as they were contacted because nobody applied and they, they I, I take it they get contacted by the returning officer to say, are you available uh, for work? But it comes up, that argument comes up every single time we have an election. What Particularly when we went through a downturn in the economy and a lot of people were unemployed the argument was why are they not giving those jobs to people who are unemployed because at the count centre it will in the main be people who work already with the council and people think that's a bit unfair because they get paid extra it's it's a long long day as well I don't know exactly how much money no doubt we'll look into that and people will have exactly how much money they get but to me they're long long days either in the polling station because they open at 7 in the morning it's not about 10 o'clock at night doesn't it 9, 9, 10 o'clock at night and the same for the count centre the count centre ones can go on for a couple of days but I'm assuming at this stage all of those jobs are well filled but if you want to keep it in mind for the next time there's an election you just go on to the Cork if you're in the county the Cork County Council website or the, if you're in the city Cork City Council's website and you'll be able to see how you apply for those jobs let's just stay with kind of on the, the topic of the canvas Margaret was on to say she has noticed and wonders have others noticed this why the politicians are not coming into pubs this time round to canvas she said she has they're not canvassing the local pubs which she said was something that they always did on previous elections I'm is this a good sign or a bad sign? I'm not in pubs that often to say that I've never been canvassed in a pub but anyway Margaret Obviously, if somebody, maybe she works in a pub, uh, maybe she lives over a pub, but she says, in the past, it's always been the case that a politician will come in and canvass in a pub. I've seen them canvassing inside in shops and they certainly, on the weekend, will go to some of the larger shopping centres, anywhere where people gather and you will see people. I saw some politicians on the main street in Mallow, some of the would-be candidates out canvassing as well anyway where we're going to get a large number of uh, people but pubs is a new one on me but anyway Margaret reckons they always used to canvass in the pub not doing it anymore anybody else notice that 1850 333 Linda said oh Linda was on to us to say could we advertise something for her please two ponies were taken slash removed from Ballymakira Clondrohad area near McCroom on Wednesday night this night Last week, that was Wednesday the 8th of May. 
They were taking some time between half past nine and 11 o'clock last Wednesday. There was a jeep and a horse box seen in the area during that period of time. These are two very affectionate ponies. One is snow white in colour and the smallest of both of them and the other is black with a white stripe down the centre of her face. Three of her legs have white fetlocks and one tiny bit of a white fetlock on the fourth leg. Now Linda contacted us because she really wants to get these ponies home because she has two heartbroken children who are missing their family pets and she said it really is heartbreaking uh, to see the children so upset and they are much loved ponies and they are family pets. So we're trying to, I suppose, trying to, somebody if was out on a last Wednesday. Did you spot anything? Could we get a car registration of that Jeep and box? Did you see anything suspicious? Banny McClearer, Clondrahad area this night last week between half nine and half, uh, between half nine and eleven, trying to jog somebody's memory. If you spotted something, please, it would be great to get these ponies back. White in colour, the smallest of them, the other black with the white stripes down this, the white stripe down the centre of her face and the three of her legs have a white fetlocks. If that, if anybody knows anything, please, about those as I say, much, much loved horses. Would you give us a call, please? Uh, Linda would certainly love to hear from you. 1850 You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And Derek was on to us. He feels that Cork County Council should follow the lead of Kerry County Council and restrict the height and designs of headstones. Some in the Cork area are monstrous inside in graveyards and Derek wonders, he read with interest about Cork, Kerry County Council. This was on the papers uh, this week. The, it was, it's attempts have been made by Kerry County Council to curb the height of new headstones. Now in Kerry County Council they have about 150 public graveyards of which Kerry County Council have jurisdiction uh, over. Now see there is some resistance to this in actually curbing the height that your headstone can be. Height restrictions were set back in 2010 but there's a lack of enforcement and seemingly people are just putting up any kind of headstones and seemingly one local councillor said that there's headstones as big as Knox Shrine are being erected in some of the graveyards. There were bylaws introduced in March of this year in Kerry and they say graveyard monument monument sculptures must register with the council. They then have to get an annual permit before being allowed to work in any of the Kerry graveyards and they're new bylaws that came in in just May. But monuments must not exceed 1.5 metres in height and they can't be bigger than a metre in length. And what Kerry County Council with these new bylaws, what they're now asking the sculptures, the people that put these headstones together, they must s- submit in detail a description to the council before the headstone is erected. Then it gets approval by the council engineers and if the council engineers says, yeah, that monument, that headstone is fine, away you go then obviously the sculpture is allowed to work with the families and they're allowed to put the headstone in place. Now the regulations come into effect after councillors complained that existing restrictions were blatantly been disregarded even though they're in place for nearly 10 years since uh, 2010 and giant monuments costing up to, you'll get a shock for this, €100,000. Some of these headstones and monuments that have been erected on graves, who in God's name is spending 100000 on a monument at a graveyard. It's a staggering, staggering sum of money. And because they're so big, they're then overshadowing neighbouring graves. And that's really a bit unfair. 
it's unfair to you know, to the person who goes to a grave to see, you know, and pay respects to their loved one. And suddenly the person who's buried next to them, their family obviously have a lot of money if they can come up with 100,000 to put up this giant big headstone and a big monument and it's going to overshadow the person whose grave is beside or on either side of it. Headstones seemingly twice and three times the height restriction have been uh, put up in some of the Kerry graveyards. Now, two and three times would mean if the restriction is 1.5, you were talking about some of these structures being three metres in height or three, 4.5 metres in height. I mean, they are huge, giant monuments, obscure monuments, totally in breach of existing current bylaws have been erected. That's a quote from the independent councillor, Brendan Cronin, who we've spoken with. He's an independent councillor in Kerry County Council. We've spoken with him before in the programme and it was one of the Healy Rays in the form of Johnny Healy Ray who said that some of the monuments are as big as Knox Shrine. And he says that they are very, very unfair. And there's various cemeteries. Some of them are worse than others, it seems, because while at the council meeting, some of the councillors were naming various cemeteries where some of these headstones are absolutely huge and they now want a crackdown. But the sculptures, who obviously make their money out of installing these headstones, they're not too happy. And a Patrick Nagel of Nagel Memorials in Kilorgan was quoted in the paper during the week as saying he said he has wholesale stock of a couple of hundred thousand euro that he says now will effectively be frozen because he doesn't know whether he's going to be allowed. And if a family chooses one of the wholesale stock that he already has and decides, yeah, I want to go with that. And then he'll have to go with these new bylaws and hand them into the council, get approval by the council engineers. They may come back and say, no, that's too big. And he's left with this wholesale stock. What's he going to do uh, with it? So he's certainly not a happy camper. A council spokesperson said they are willing to meet with the sculptures, but they've noted that the majority of the the grave monument sculptures in Kerry have agreed to to register with the council. So it looks to me from that that it's sculptures outside of the uh, area, but I'm assuming whether they're within Kerry County Council, whether whether they're in the county or outside, if they want to erect a headstone in Kerry, in the 150-odd public graveyards, they're going to have to dump because of these bylaws, they're going to have to get approval first. Derek feels that Cork County Council should follow suit. Now, I know the last time we did something on, on graves, I mean, there are, there, there's got to be restrictions in place, but I, it's the enforcement of it. But then, is it a very difficult thing to do? If a family are grieving, and for whatever reason, they have the wherewithal and they have the money to spend this. 100,000, I'm shocked at. I've never heard of a figure that high, but, you know, I'm led to believe that that's what some of the headstones in Kerry have cost. I don't know if there's any graveyard here in Cork where somebody has paid 100,000 to erect a monument. But, you know, if somebody is grieving and, you know, they want to remember their loved one's and they want to do it this way by erecting a very large monument. Is it very difficult then for the council to come in and say, after it's been put up and in place, you have to take that down? That's why I'm, I think what Kerry County Council are doing, I think is quite clever in getting all of the sculptures to register with them and then put in place these new bylaws whereby you've got to send in the proposal, detailed drawings, the height and whatever. The engineers can take a look at it and then they can say, if you come in with a monument that is, I mean, three times the height at 4.5 metres, they can straight away say no before you put any piece of marble down or any bit of cement. That's not going to pass. 
that's too high you need to go back to the family and you need to change the drawings and lower it or whatever needs to be done I think that is probably the best way to do it I do think it would be very difficult for the council officials to actually go to a grieving family and say you have to remove your headstone I don't know if that's ever happened before I know there has been complaints in in the past and it is I can see the unfairness for a loved one if they're beside a graveyard where the huge big monuments go up and it's overshadowing their grave. I, I can understand the upset it would cause to the other family as well. 1850 Do you agree with Kerry that yes, they need to, what they're doing here is right. This is the right way to go is to put these bylaws in place where you need to have detail detailed description and approval by the council before you erect the headstone. 1850 John Paul takes your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit CorkCoco.ie An information evening on pensions and investments will be held in Formoy tonight. That starts at 7 o'clock. While there is bingo on tonight in the Adele Quinn Hall in Canturk, half past eight, this week's jackpot is 6,150. The usual buses will attend. And a transformational workshop will begin in the Bottom and Holistic Centre. It starts this evening between seven and nine and runs for four weeks. You will learn to build self-confidence through creative and mindfulness techniques. You can contact Lisa at 086 348 retired teachers group are hosting a coffee morning tomorrow morning from 10am to 12.30 in the resource centre in Fomoy with all proceeds going to Fomoy Wheels Meals on Wheels. You're please asked to support. And a table quiz in aid of Helena Ryan will be held in Albert Lynch's bar tomorrow night at 8. Lots of spot prizes and great fun assured. And Middleton Arts Festival that begins this Friday with a special country market from 9am in Market Green. Great events running all over the weekend and all weekend events are listed on www.middletonartsfestival.com This is the Court Today replay on C103. Court Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now the European Commission has opened an investigation into Insurance Ireland to determine if it's in breach of competition law. Peter Boland, Director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, says it's important that there is a level playing field. And Peter Boland uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. And you're you're welcome. Now, this investigation is to do with data pooling, where companies share information on insurance claims. And the purpose is to facilitate the detection of potentially fraudulent behaviour by claimants. Surely this is a good scheme. And what's the concerns around it? Okay, so it's a terrific scheme, Patricia. And it's been working since 1987. Uh, sorry for a bit of background noise, by the way. Um, so it's been operated since 1987, and it is a very useful way of tracking um, potential fraudulent patterns. So in other words, people making multiple claims or unusual claims, certain injuries that keep popping up uh, every now and then, that kind of approach. Now, the big issue, though, is who gets access to that information. So if you're in your insurer coming into Ireland... And you can't get access to that information. You're a sitting duck. 
because you're not going to be able to predict fraudulent patterns or do anything to defend them. Uh, and I guess that is, we, we don't know much more about the European Commission investigation. Uh, they tend to be very circumspect until they come up with a decision, as you probably saw with uh, in the case of Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be some time before we know what's really going on. Um, but in the meantime, I have to say, we would welcome anything that would add transparency uh, to the insurance market. It is, for one, Patricia, that's so systemically important to Ireland. It is notoriously secretive. It's very hard to get any kind of transparency. And in fact, if anything, uh, on the watch of the Irish government, uh, transparency has diminished in the last four or five years. So we are welcoming this as uh, a step in the right direction. And it's, it's called um, Insurance Link. And um, uh, the Irish Insurance Ireland insists that this Insurance Link is accessed by, obviously, their own members. But they also say it's accessed by non-members. But then I read in the paper that Zenith Insurance had to pull out of the Irish market in 2016, claiming they couldn't access the industry well, data. So somebody's not telling the truth. Well, my instinct would be uh, that they're hardly going to the effort and expense of investigating this if they don't see something dubious about it. So I, I guess we'll have to wait and see what they come up with. Um, but like, if everything was squeaky clean, uh, there wouldn't be any uh, room or need for an investigation. How long do you expect the inv- investigation to take? Now, that's the $64,000 question. Uh, the original raid by the European Commission happened in the middle of 2017. So two years later, this is the first significant move on their part. They don't move very quickly. And while we welcome it, and we would urge the European Commission now to, to move uh, with all due haste, um, we doubt that this is going to have an impact on insurance premiums uh, in the near future. So what we've been arguing up to yesterday when that news broke is that it is down to the Irish government in particular uh, to get moving on this and get going on reform of the book of quantum, on the Guard Insurance Fraud Unit, and additionally from an insurer point of view, while all this is going on, we need assurances from the insurance industry that all this reform will actually have an impact. Mm. So we haven't as yet got uh, any attempt to quantify the benefits of all of the work that has been done. Um, on that very subject, we're meeting Minister Charlie Flanagan uh, this afternoon see if we uh, can get any further progress, particularly on the the book of quantum. I know we've talked about this before, but this is basically the guidelines uh, for injuries. And particular issue there is very minor uh, paracetamol injuries, the fully recovered ones after a day or two, mild bruising, uh, no ligament damage, no breakages. And they're the ones that are distorting this whole situation because they're the ones uh, where you can essentially get €20,000 for a, a bruised thumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and only last week we spoke with the Association of Festivals about the possible problems. And again, it's something, because I, I mentioned you during the interview, because I've spoken with you on it before as well, but it's about the problems festivals and events uh, may face getting insurance this year, particularly this issue, this new issue that's come to light with the civil defence. Right. I gather there's a meeting organised now with the Department of Defence, Civil Defence and the festival. So we're hoping that there's some progress from that. But the speed at which that happened is, is in stark contrast to what's happening on all the other issues. Yeah, I, yeah. I really, I, like, we've been warning about this, as you know, like you've been on the case on this for uh, the best part of a year and a half as well at this stage. And we've been warning collectively that, that this was going to happen. 
it's now starting to happen. We're seeing businesses going out of business. We're seeing festivals having to decide to close down at this stage. Sorry for the background noise again, Mel. Okay. Um, and so we, you know, we we need urgency on this. Um, we weren't scaremongering all along. It has happened as we predicted, uh, and it will continue to happen. And in fact, get worse uh, if action isn't taken. I, I'm I'm only at liberty to discuss certain stories and certain issues, the ones where they've agreed to go public. But Patricia, you wouldn't believe the number of businesses and voluntary groups out there that are absolutely pinned to the collar with insurance costs. But they just won't, they're afraid to go public. They don't want to cheese off the local broker or they're afraid of additional or they just won't, don't want to reflect. Yeah, and, and I know, I know, we've spoken with some businesses off air, and we've asked them to say, you know, come, you know, share that story with us, and they were saying no because, and they're afraid of copycat claims. Yeah, which yeah, was absolutely. which was one that really threw me back. That was one I hadn't thought about, and uh, they were saying no, we might put the idea into somebody's head uh, to to do the same thing. Uh, Tom says, tell Peter Boland to keep fighting the good fight they're doing. He's he's really trying to do. He's really really best, uh, and he wonders, are we getting any closer to a Garther Insurance fraud unit that Peter has spoken about before? That's, I'll, I'll clarify that after a meeting with the minister this afternoon. But okay. I'm just absolutely baffled at how long this has taken. The Gardaí are ready to go on it. They've been preparing for this for two years. Uh, it's formal government policy since January uh, 2017, uh, and yet we haven't seen it. And this is one of these... Like, we started off with a list of 10 asks, as we call them, Patricia, the things that we wanted done that we thought would impact on insurance costs quickly. And we've actually whittled it down to three at this stage because we're making... So little progress with government on this. And they're the only people who can solve this. I mean, everybody else essentially has a vested interest, uh, whether they be the legal profession or the insurance industry, uh, claimant, policy holders, brokers, doctors, who are obviously implicated in this as well. Uh, they're, they're all vested interest. It is government are the only ones who can get reforms through. Uh, and, and we're just, I'm, I'm not just baffled about the Garda Insurance Fraud Unit, I'm baffled about the slow pace in general on this. Okay, listen, uh, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us, Peter. Thank you for that. And we'll talk again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Peter Boland, Director of the Alliance of Insurance Reform. I mean, that guy in that organisation, they really are fighting on behalf of uh, all of us. Now, uh, John Paul said a few calls coming in this morning for people to say the scam call claiming to be from AIR it's doing the round again at the, mo- at, the mo- at the moment so please be careful and actually one of our regular listeners Sandy has sent in a text saying scam calls which may catch out a foreign national living or holidaying here in Ireland Sandy said I've received about eight missed calls from a plus 353 number it barely rings once do not ring that number back. I think it may, may be a Bosnia code. They change the last number every time. So it's pointless blocking it, says Sandy. And that's the scam where they want you to miss the call and then they want you to ring back. And the idea is then that you get in, you get on to a premium line and it will cost you an absolute fortune. You'll either get a massive phone bill if you're bill pay or if you are pay as you go, then all of your credit will be eaten up. So please be very, very careful of that. Hi, Patricia, says another listener. Is a single person who is on unemployment assistance and can't find a house to rent but can get a mobile home entitled to allowance for same it's from a Mill Street listener I've never heard of 
some kind of a grant, I'm assuming you're looking for to purchase the mobile home or towards the cost of the mobile home. Is, is that the idea? I've certainly never heard of such a scheme. That's not to say that it doesn't exist. I imagine if you go into maybe somebody like your community welfare officer, there could be some kind of a scheme. It might actually, you know, like an emergency scheme and extra costs. I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm, talk, I'm talking and thinking at the same time. I, 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 my answer basically is I haven't heard of it. But look, we'll put it out over the airwaves. Somebody may know. Somebody may be able to point you in the right direction. So a single man, unemployed, on unemployment assistance, can't find a house to rent because I take it you'd be on the HAP scheme in the Mill Street area, would be interested in living in a mobile home and I'm assuming you have a place to put the mobile home, you, you're you okay for all of that and to get electricity and water and all of that, but just obviously looking for money to help cover the cost of purchasing or renting. Do you purchase mobile homes, do you? You don't rent them. Uh, if anybody can help or has advice on where we can point our Mill Street listener in what direction we should be sending them, uh, please let us know. And on the headstones in Kerry, somebody says on this, on our way from beautiful Dingle, signal not great but read the headstones, I heard you talk about it have you been to Rathkeel? Huge headstones there and John says it's members of the travelling community that buy very large headstones seems to be very much part of their tradition but again it's kind of a little bit like poor old Sister Irene and Sister Anne-Marie, the Carmelite nuns that we spoke about earlier on who just put up their structures themselves. We all have to abide by the same rules whether it's in somebody's tradition or not. You know the rule has got to be the same for Johnny and it's got to be the same for Mary as it has to be the same for poor Sister Irene and her Carmel Carmelite heritage in Lep, they have to remove those buildings. So the same rules, you know, the same rules must and has to apply. Surely that's only fair. 1850 John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C103. Uh, Michael says, Yes, I've seen massive headstones in my travels throughout the country. Many of them do cost tens of thousands of uh, euro and it does seem to be a tradition within the travelling community. Huge, huge uh, sums of uh, money. Now somebody else has sent in a text from um, is this the Timoleague area? Hi, I was just out in my garden and all I could hear was a very loud noise. It sounded like a small plane. Next thing it appeared, wow, literally flying just above the height of the forestry trees. I actually thought it was about to make an emergency landing near the field. I've seen planes fly low bef- before, but not that low. I thought it was illegal. I'm living a few miles outside of Banton on the Timoleague side. Wonders anybody else noticed. It's just passed again. It is flying so low. And the person has sent us in a photograph of it. I can see the word survey written on the side. I guess it has something to do with putting together information for Google Maps. It's not for Google Maps. I know I've got jump jump hall. It's the it's the survey plane. It's the TELUS survey. It's called. It's a national program, and it's gathering geochemical and geophysical data right across Ireland. It's examining the chemical and physical properties of our soil, our rocks, and our water. And they're a lovely bunch. 
in the TELUS survey because any time we contact them when we get reports in of a low-flying plane straight away John Paul says that's the survey plane and he'll get on to them and they'll be back straight away with the details of where they are at the moment where they're going to be for the next uh, few days so I am assuming from that WhatsApp that they're in the West Cork area so it's nothing to be afraid of and no they're not because we often get calls in saying are they snooping to see what we're doing in our backyard and if we're burning rubbish or are they snooping to see what do we do with our bins and if we've really been snow they're doing nothing like that it literally is that's why survey is clearly written and that's why it has to fly low as well it's the chemical and physical properties of the soil the rocks and the water I take it for the Department of the Environment probably I don't know what they do with the actual information at the end of it even though we've, we've mentioned it a good few times I don't actually know what the information is used for but it is a national programme so please don't in any way be frightened by it and it isn't Big Brother watching you or anything like that Now a couple of people including Heidi said Patricia Hi they've taken the medical card from the over 70s this is at a time when maybe they need to be able to think about the, the this vital item is there in case oh sorry no I was reading something different there it was it was to do with um, sorry I'll come back to that because I haven't proved that before I thought it was this is to do with and we got there was a couple of other whatsapps in on this this is to do with hospitals and car parking and car park charging at hospitals there are calls to phase out hospital car parking charges and anyone who has had a loved one in hospital lately who has been forced to pay these car parking charges will know it can be quite expensive if you're there for many days and over a period of time. I mean, if you're just going once in a blue moon up to visit somebody in the hospital, you might bemoan paying for the afternoon for the parking or whatever, but you don't really think that much about it. But it really catches people who have to visit the hospital a lot, either through work or through illness or to visit a loved one. Anyway, figures have just come out and they are are high, high figures. Over €60,000 a day is a day is collected by hospitals in parking revenue. And these are figures that have been released by the HSE. They came up under, a par- some TD was asking under a parliamentary question. I don't know who, who raised the issue. But anyway, it shows €22.4 million Euro was received by hospitals around the country for one year. That was in 2017. 22.4 million Euro in parking charges. Okay. We're, we're, we're interested in our own hospitals here in Cork. CUH, they, in 2017, they earned €3 million Euro from their car park. Theirs is that really, really busy car park. A car park I know well because I queued long enough to try and get in there before uh, the back end of last year. It was just crazy uh, up there. Anyway, €3 million is what they've earned. South Infirmary Victoria, they took in over €318,000. The Mercy, they operate a staff-only car park and charging the staff 265000 €265,000 was earned and the good news is for for those in the county we don't often get good news in the county Bantry and Mallow General Hospitals both car parks there are free even though if the HSC see it as a way of making money they might change their minds and they might start charging patients in Bantry and Mallow but isn't it a staggering sum of money over €22 million received just on parking alone. Is it a good way to make money? Maybe let's, let's rather look at the negative. Let's try and look at the positive. Maybe this is the way, this is the way to go. Um, 
is to keep these parking charges in place. It's a way of making money for the hospital. I don't know what do each of the, I assume that the fact they've given the breakdown from each individual hospital, each individual hospital keeps their own money and then are they allowed to decide what they spend the money on? I wonder what's done, what's done with it or are you on the other side that this really is targeting sick, sick people and it needs to be phased out completely and let the whatever money is generated, let the cost of it go back onto the HSC. Your thoughts welcomed. 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and our apologies to you that uh, Peter Dowdell, I can see some questions coming in for, for Peter. Uh, Peter Dowdell not available to us today but uh, he'll be back with us next Wednesday. He's just having a little bit of a busy week and he's not available to uh, join us. But as I say, he will be back with us next uh, week. The TELUS survey that we had, the Watts, the listener from West Cork sending in photographs because he kind of got a bit scared, thought the plane was about to make an emergency landing because it does fly. If you've seen this plane and it clearly, it flies so low you can see the word survey it, written in red on the side of it. It's a, a small little propeller plane. It does look like it's about to make an emergency landing. I mean, it's it's down so close you can only wave at the pilot inside it and it does kind of frighten uh, people. Anyway, the TELUS Airborne Survey continues. It's 2019 flying season and this week it is in West Cork and it'll be in West Cork. It started the survey in West Cork on Monday and it's going to be there until the 20th. So that's right across this week. So if you're in the West Cork area, keep and you hear it because you'll hear the plane before you'll see it, I imagine. As I say, don't be in any way scared by it. It's all above board and everything's fine and they're not snooping on you and it's nobody trying to get information on uh, you. Now, I mentioned the money that's been generated from the parking and then I was trying to read and proofread at the same time Heidi my apologies to you Heidi Heidi says Patricia they have taken the medical cards from the over 70s at, at a time when maybe they need to be able to think these these vital items are there uh, in case it's needed why do this to the people in later life and all of the money from the car parking they need to get rid of the people walking around with folders not penalise old age pensioners uh, says uh, Heidi, who is not happy uh, with the way older people in particular are being treated in this country. Now, the Mill Street listener who was inquiring about the mobile home was back on and wondering, can you get assistance? You're entitled to an allowance if you can't find a house to rent and you want to get a mobile home. And I kind of miss, I took it as that the person wanted to buy a mobile home or wanted to, you know, wanted to rent a mobile home and would they get some money towards the cost of it? But they're back saying no. The ministry listener has been offered a mobile home in a location and he's wondering, would he get the same allowance for living in the mobile home that he would get if he was living in a house? Now, I'm assuming if you were living in a house, you get the HAP scheme to rent are you looking to rent this mobile home? I would say go into, because he's on he's on unemployment assistance, I would say go into your welfare office and explain what's going on. Explain that you've been offered a mobile home, that I'm assuming the offer is you've been offered to rent the mobile home and you're trying to see, could you transfer what would be the rent on a house can you use it to rent a mobile home and that you're happy enough until a suitable house becomes available to live in the mobile home? You, you're, going, you're certainly going to need to check that with your housing officer or with your social welfare. They, they will be able to tell you. Uh, let us know, by the way, how you got on. Pat wants to know, Patricia, quick one for you. Is there any time of the year when you can get free or cheap wills done? Can't think of one. 
can't think of a time where there's free, certainly not free, cheaper wills. Sometimes they do charity things whereby you can, you know, the professionals will get involved and for a nominal sum they'll offer advice. Don't know if I've heard of one about wills, but I will call it out and see if anybody else knows where you can get a will done cheaply. Or does anybody offer a service where you can get it for free if you can let us know uh, on that one, please. And somebody wants to know, why is Minister Simon Coveney in uh, Castletown uh, Roach, an angry Castletown Roach listener, wants to know what, what is he doing? Simon Coveney is there, along with a host of other people. The Michael Ring, the Minister for Rural and Community Development, is also there today. And they are h- highlighting government supports available to communities in rural areas. And they're doing it under the hashtag tag Rural Opportunity to Cork and they're sharing information uh, on how communities can access funding so it's all about rural Ireland and Michael Ring is there and you are right Simon Coveney is there as well and the Minister for Business Enterprise and Innovation who's the Minister for Business Enterprise and Innovation at the moment if this was a table quiz the answer is Heather Humphreys she's also in in Castletown Road so there this morning I'm assuming they've moved on and probably gone canvassing now with some of the uh, local local election candidates. Okay, that's why I have to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. We're back with you tomorrow at 10. This summer, thousands of people will love this feeling. You can experience it too. invites you to run the Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Whatever your fitness, whatever your goal, whatever your reason, we want you to hit the streets. Hit the streets. Feeling alive. Join a relay team or go solo in the half or full marathon. Register now at CorkCityMarathon.ie CorkCityMarathon.ie The Irish Examiner Cork City Marathon Sunday, June 2nd. Feeling alive. With C103. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.